does. McCaffrey leaps. End zone. Oh, touchdown. To the box, McCaffrey at the 10. McCaffrey takes it in. Second score of the day for Christian McCaffrey. Hands it off to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac attack. McCaffrey, one man to beat. McCaffrey all the way. His third touchdown. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Panthers 34, Jacksonville 27. Carolina advances to 3-2 as the Panthers take it to London to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a rematch. Tampa over Carolina earlier this year when Cam Newton was still playing. Kyle Allen is now 4-0 as a starting quarterback. First to do so as an NFL newcomer at quarterback since that Kurt Warner guy back in 1999. Many of those highlights included Christian McCaffrey. As we come back to your calls, best and worst of the weekend, the NBA versus China, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Carolina Tar Heels, the Carolina Panthers, among those being celebrated here in our backyard. The Bills, the Patriots, the Colts, the Saints, the Packers, the Texans, the Ravens, Ohio State, Florida, Michigan, UNC, Pitt, Louisville, Virginia Tech from college football. And in Major League Baseball, the Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Braves all today in a quadruple playoff playoff quadruple header have a chance to eliminate the Rays, the Twins, the Nationals, and the Cardinals. All of those teams with the upper hand and many of their players got best of the weekend votes. You can chime in with yours. What was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and why? 1-800-849-2761. Heather Dinich of ESPN will join us on college football in about 30 minutes. As we go to Tavares in Greenville, Michael in Raleigh has the Panthers on his mind. Jonathan in Chapel Hill has some hockey on his mind. It is a special sports anniversary, and I did promise you one thing before the break. Darren, you step in for the statewide audience here at the David Glenn Show. I think as October 7th, from more than a century ago. This is an anniversary from more than 100 years ago. I think a huge majority of our audience, if I simply said this is the anniversary of one of the most lopsided scores in the history of major American sports, and I just said the numbers, 222 to zero, I think a majority of folks would at least have an idea where it comes from. Would you? Yeah, it's Georgia Tech over Cumberland. Um, I don't know how universal, I mean, I, I know, I know that, but I've been exposed to probably that fact, uh, just by, by virtue of what we do, uh, more often than, than a, ca- a more casual fan. So I, I don't know how universal that is. Georgia Tech, of course, now a member of the ACC. So we've gotten to know a little bit more about their culture, the rambling wreck, John Heisman, that Heisman was once their head coach and he was actually their head coach when the Yellow Jackets beat Cumberland 220. 200- 22 to 0 in a college football game today is the anniversary it was October 7th 1916 now you may have remembered the Heisman part but I'm going to try to dazzle you and if I can dazzle you as the voice of USA baseball and a lifelong player and fan of that wonderful sport if I can dazzle you with details you haven't heard before as a member of our industry I'm thinking I'm also going to dazzle 98% of our audience at the (laughs) least. So you tell me if either of these is something you already knew. 
Well, out of the gate, did you know John Heisman was also the Georgia Tech baseball coach? Because this matters with this 222-0 story. not something I was aware of. So you know he was the football coach. He's the guy that the Heisman Trophy is named after, et cetera. And he was very famous as the Tech football coach, not as well-known the Georgia Tech baseball coach. Back in the day, remember, college sports wasn't making any money. So you might be asked to coach three different teams, you know, in three different sports, whatever. And that that wasn't exclusive to the teens in the 1900s either. I mean, that was very much the case what probably up to up until the 40 50 years ago it w- guys would coach multiple sports yeah that's true I mean like our old friend Gene Corrigan former ACC commissioner I'd have to double check all the details but he coached mo- multiple sports at UVA yeah before going on to be you know an NCAA guy and the ACC commissioner and UVA athletic director and all that stuff so yeah it was common and then y'all can imagine TV provided one bump you know, and TV came along for a while, only the rich people had it, and then it was only black and white for a while, and then there was no cable for a while. So the arrival of TV made sports more profitable, and then a Supreme Court case made sports even more profitable at the college level in the 80s, and now and then we were just off to the races. Now we have realignment and conference channels and all these other things that have taken us into the next stratosphere, the multi-billion dollar world in college sports. So 1916 had none of that, but Georgia Tech had a football team, And they had a contract to play Cumberland College, which is based in Lebanon, Tennessee. You may know, and tell me if I'm dazzling you with this detail, Cumberland lost 222-0 to in part, and I'll get back to the John Heisman part, which is my favorite fun fact. Cumberland was disbanding its football team. Did you know that part? Okay. No, but it doesn't surprise me seeing as how we know of Georgia Tech today and we don't necessarily of Cumberland today. Cumberland, like many schools at the time, was de-emphasizing football. They didn't see what big-time football was going to eventually become. Georgia Tech hung in there, but there was a contract signed, Darren, and Cumberland College under the terms of this contract. You remember when, like – Virginia Tech and ECU had their hurricane gate and somebody was going to sue somebody else. And why'd you cancel so early? Why didn't you wait for more weather reports? Now who owes who what? And now that you're not here, we lost our gate receipts and it's going to cost us a lot of money and we're going to threaten a lawsuit. Well, there was, believe it or not, a version of such things even in 1916. And when Cumberland College said to Georgia Tech, "Um, like, we're not playing football anymore. John Heisman responded by saying, well, if you're not playing, we're suing you. And I guess there was a clause in the contract even 103 years ago, as there is today, by the way. If you cancel too close to a game, it can cost you like a million dollars nowadays. So the clause back then was that Cumberland would have owed them $3,000 to just bail (laughs) on the game. Now, I did some quick math. It's worth that same number is about $75,000 today. So still peanuts compared to now, but given that inflation thing, 75000 type penalty, but in 1916 dollars, it was 3000 Cumberland clearly not wanting that big chunk taking out of its <laughs> annual athletic department budget, didn't want to either deal with a lawsuit for $3,000 or just get invoiced for $3,000. As long as they showed up, Darren they would not be on John Heisman's wrong side or vulnerable to losing a $3,000 lawsuit. Now, they had disbanded the football program, so they have a problem. What did they do? No, I'm not kidding. This is all what led to 222-0. to They essentially went, if there was a DG show fraternity house at our mythical Podunk State University, 
it was like the athletic director at Cumberland College saying, you know, DG and Darren played baseball for a while. I think I saw him on the flag football field. You know, they have a lot of fraternity brothers. Maybe I can talk them into representing, putting on Cumberland uniforms, <laughs> going to Atlanta and play. I'm not kidding now. To avoid the $3,000 penalty, Cumberland essentially recruited a couple athletes in a fraternity and said, bring as many of your friends as you can. And that was their football team, just to justify the contract language. As the story went, three fraternity brothers got lost in Tennessee on the travels to Atlanta, didn't even make it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like originally 19 or 20 dudes were going to travel, and it ended up being, whatever, 16 or 17. Instead, good dudes got lost. I mean, 19, 16. How many ways were they to get to Atlanta? I don't know. <laughs> so they show up with these 12, by various accounts, it's anywhere. You need 11 to play, right? By various accounts, there were 12 to 16 players wearing Cumberland uniforms. But they justified the contract, Darren, thus dodging the $3,000 contractual <laughs> penalty. That's my second favorite part of the story. And, yes, the best athletes were asked to play the best positions, and otherwise it was just, hey, uh, what are you guys doing this weekend? Uh, <laughs> you want to represent our college in a football game against Georgia Tech? And that's how it happened. My favorite part is that the theory goes that the final score was 222-0, to zero, not by chance. As the story goes, and there's some documentation that this is the case, football and baseball coach John Heisman of Georgia Tech remembered a baseball game from the previous year. Have you ever heard the saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? Right. All right. Apparently, hell hath no fury in 1916 like a John Heisman scorned. His Georgia Tech baseball team was playing a baseball game the previous year under Cumberland College. As the story goes, Cumberland, this is at a time like the old, the wild, wild west, man. Who knows what the NCAA was or wasn't enforcing back then? I don't know. 1916. John Heisman came to believe that Cumberland was cutting corners. I mean, they had more ringers than SMU football in the 1980s, man. There was a slush fund for the slush fund. <laughs> And John Heisman watched Cumberland beat his Georgia Tech team. Little Cumberland with these, he thought, semi-pro guys. It's not like they had game programs or, oh, can I call up your Cumberland Athletics website to make sure that all these guys are actual students at your school? There's, it's 1916. The ringers from Cumberland were pretty good, be they professional or semi-pro. We don't know to this day. But John Heisman was convinced they were not just college baseball players. Final score, wait for it was Cumberland 22, Georgia Tech 0. Oh. And that, my friends, leads to the rest of the story. In the actual football game, Cumberland received the opening kickoff and failed to make a first down. After a punt, Georgia Tech scored on its first play. On Cumberland's next offensive play, it fumbled, and Georgia Tech returned that fumble for another touchdown. The Bulldogs fumbled again on their next play. Fraternity dudes, remember. And Georgia Tech took two rushes this time to score its third touchdown and an early 21 to nothing lead. Cumberland lost nine yards on its next possession, and Georgia Tech scored a fourth touchdown on another two-play drive. By the end of the first quarter, it was 63 to nothing, Georgia Tech. By halftime, it was 126 to nothing, Georgia Tech. <laughs> 
at some point, John Heisman even agreed, you know what, let's shorten the third and fourth quarters. It, they went from 15 minutes to 12 minutes, a mercy rule improvised on the spot, if you will, as Georgia Tech, 103 years ago today, was up 126 to zero at the half. Georgia Tech, by the, by the way, at the time, didn't even have the Yellow Jackets nickname. They were called the Engineers. Some still call them that as like a secondary nickname, but this tells you how long ago it was. Cumberland, long ago, really stopped playing football. Georgia Tech, long ago, made the conversion to Yellow Jackets. So little by little, Darren, at the end of the third, the shortened third quarter, it was 180 to zero. But John Heisman clearly still flinching from the 22 to nothing ringer-led baseball devastation of the previous year. Kept scoring with his dozens and dozens and dozens of players there in Atlanta and kept scoring until the score was 222 to zero. Since World War II, only a handful of schools have even topped 100 points per game. In any level of college football, the modern era record for most points scored against any single college opponent is 106. That was scored back, that was, uh, that happened back when I was in diapers a long, long time ago. Houston did once beat Tulsa 100 to 6 in an actual college football game in the late 1960s. But to this moment, Georgia Tech 222. Cumberland zero is one of the most lopsided eye-opening final scores in the history of major sports. And that is the rest of the story. 1-800-849-2761. We'll get to Tavares and Greenville on the NBA question on the other side. The showdown with China, if you will. Jonathan and others have best or worst of the weekend votes to cast. Jay Gruden is out as the head coach in Washington. He is the first NFL guy to be shown the door. 0-5 as Bill, Can Bill Callahan becomes the interim head coach in the capital city. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. The Carolina Tar Heels, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Carolina Panthers have a lot to celebrate, but so do many across the nation. The Buckeyes, the Gators, the Wolverines, and in the NFL, the Patriots are the only 5-0 team in that league after a head-to-head -head win over Washington. The Colts, led by Jacoby Brissett. The Saints, led by backup Teddy Bridgewater. The Packers, the Texans, the Ravens, all getting best of the weekend love as well. You can be next with your question, comment, or vote. Heather Dinich on college football in 15 minutes. Back to your phone calls next on The David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks you work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Hope you enjoyed our 222-0 to zero flashback to October 7th, 1916, 103 years ago today. The Engineers did that to Cumberland. Fast forward to 2019, we've got an NBA international incident in China. We're playing best and worst of the weekend. The Panthers, the Tar Heels, and the Hurricanes are all getting a lot of local love. NFL and college football teams in abundance. Major League Baseball teams, too. Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, and Braves. One of today's four quadruple header matchups is already underway. 
and the Rays are up as they fight for their postseason lives. It's still early against the Astros. Tavares is in Greenville and wants in on the NBA versus China. Frank and Jonathan and others want to cast a ballot for best or worst of the weekend or chime in on another topic of the day. Tavares, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Heather Dinich on College Football Live in about 10 minutes. Go right ahead. DG, because I love your show and I love you, man, um, I have to say that the new the views and opinions expressed by this caller, Tavares, are not the views and opinions of the David Glenn. <laughs> well done. Go right ahead. First, first of all, um, the Alphabet community um, referred to the Dave Chappelle Netflix special, if you want to find out who, the, who they are, um, made our local government, our um, North Carolina local government, cave to um, because of money. And um, they showed their, where their moral compass was. The gentleman that said he stands with, with Hong Kong showed that he does not stand with them because when, that, when, it, when the money was on the line, he folded like a cheap tent. Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets general his, manager, under his, a lot of pressure. Remember, his, yeah, pressure, he got calls from his, everybody, his own team was, owner it, who signs his checks and the NBA headquarters as well. It was too much for him. And his moral compass, he looked, he said, it's not worth it. So I really don't stand. So when you speak power, when you speak truth to power, that means the power that be has to give up some of that power. He wasn't willing to really stand with, with, with the people of Hong Kong who are not under direct control of China. They don't want that type of communism. Communism and Christianity, just ask the Uyghurs that live in China. Over ten, between 10 and 20 million people right now in China are in concentration camps, people. And China is a disgraceful human rights track record, period. Any educated person knows that. There's no doubt about it. The question, though, is how many people or corporate citizens, individual citizens or corporate citizens, stick their necks out economically the farther they get from their own backyard? And that was my theme that a lot of people are missing right now. For example, Coach K at Duke, Roy Williams at Carolina. Have they spoken up on matters of American interests? Yes, they have. Coach K has stood up for the LGBT community very candidly. That's an American issue, or if there's a Duke issue, or if there's a state of North Carolina issue. He's also got an agreement with Nike. Do you see him going out of his way to address issues in China? or other foreign countries? Not really. So I think the NBA is actually doing here what most American citizens do and what most corporate citizens do. In other words, the NBA, for anybody who's paying attention, deserves a lot of credit for standing up for social justice matters in the United States. So those claiming a double standard, yes, they're not using the same uh, philosophy overseas, but who does? Who are the examples that go to bat against every wrongdoing they see everywhere. Who are those people? Coaches don't do it. Leagues don't do it. Star athletes don't do it. I admire the ones who step up in their own backyard. Like people ask, well, isn't that a double standard? Yes, it's a double standard. Daryl Morey and the Rockets and the NBA are kowtowing to China because they're afraid of the money they'd lose if they keep alienating China the way that tweet clearly did. But... Who's not doing it that way? In other words, you're right about a double standard, but doesn't almost everybody have the same double standard? 
if you're the most if you're the most social justice minded minded guy on earth, what are the odds that you are standing up for this wrong in Africa versus the one in North Carolina or in the United States? The NBA is simply living the way most Americans live. And most corporate citizens don't even stand up as much as the NBA does. Isn't that the reality? It is. And there, there, I understand what you're saying. There is, a, there is a double standard. But at the end of the day, the NBA is the one that's, that's, that's holding this, that's having this moral compass that everybody, you know, that, that's the problem that, that I have with it. Don't stand up and say that you're for this and you're for that with this moral compass. But when you see... 10 to 20. If Yao Ming was to come out and toe the line of human rights, what would happen to Yao Ming? You have never heard Yao Ming, and he knows the people. He knows his people are suffering, but Yao Ming cannot toe the line or he'll end up in one of those concentration camps. You get what I'm saying? He'll, he'll no. end up like Enos Cantor in Turkey. Enos Cantor is a guy who speaks out against the repressive and oppressive regime in his native Turkey, and like they've got warrants out for him, and some people want to kill him. He's a current active NBA player from Turkey. He's upset about the course his country has taken. He's been very public about it. And he's like on the most wanted list over there. Like he's got to watch where he travels internationally because in some of these oppressive countries, you just disappear. You know, I mean, in the old days, we weren't friends with North Korea and Russia. You know, we used to ally ourselves with those that shared our values. It's been a little upside down the last couple of years. Somehow our best friends now include Russia and North Korea. I'm not sure how that happened. But in those, in those countries in China, like, people just disappear and die. You can be the smartest, most forward-thinking Chinese professor, native of China, Talk about why, you know, oppressing your own people and uh, manipulating the Internet so they only see what you want them to see. Like a government telling their own people, you're only allowed to see what we decide you can see. That wouldn't cut it in the United States, but it is the law of the land to a great degree in China. You're right. Yao Ming's not going to step out the way Ines Kander did in Turkey. And it's for these same reasons. In their case, it's, you know, self-preservation. In these other cases, Tavares, I've, I've heard you call a lot, but let's, let's put it to you. Aren't you more active with things close to you than afar? Would you be more active about something in Greenville or the state of North Carolina or something's wrong in the United States of America, or are you jumping in if uh, there's a problem in Sweden or Norway or Nigeria or Argentina? Of course you're thinking locally first, right? And that's what the NBA is doing right now. Where should anybody be most concerned and most active? Where you pay your taxes. Where you are a corporate citizen. The NBA's primary residence is the United States of America. So they, you can call it a double standard, and to a degree you're right, but aren't they, aren't they doing an even more impressive job at home where some corporate citizens shrug their shoulders entirely? They don't stand up for anything that's right other than the almighty dollar. We have politicians that worship the almighty dollar more than anything else, and we have leagues that do, including the National Football League. Everybody who's paying attention knows that the NBA holds itself to a higher standard domestically. So if you want to call them out for not extending it all the way into every country the way they're not doing that in China, you're correct, but show me the corporate citizen who is as adamant about social justice in every country in the world as they are in their primary residence, the United States of America. There are no examples. Show me any activist in the history of the world. I mean, you admire Nelson Mandela. Guess where he started? 
South Africa. That that was his home. That, that there were injustices all over the world. What was the one he tackled? Not the one halfway across the world. The first one was the one in his own backyard, his own people. So if your primary residence of the United States is the United States, whether you're a person or a corporation, or in this case, a professional sports league, shouldn't we expect you to be most active in the community in your own backyard? And shouldn't we expect you to make different decisions because they're more complicated when problems pop up around the world? Again, the bottom line is you're right. They're choosing money because it's such a big, important market to the NBA. They are choosing money over making a bigger stand on human rights. I'm just saying those attacking the NBA are, to a degree, missing the forest for the trees. Why are you attacking the only one of the only leagues that cares about social injustice at home? And their actions show that they do. So, like, you're, you're, you're taking the beacon of American sports standing up for domestic injustice um, against it, and, and you're attacking them because they're not doing enough halfway around the world, and yet you're quiet about the sports organizations that do little to nothing at home? I, I, don't, I don't get that. Again, the, the bottom line is correct. The NBA has a double standard. What corporate citizen does what corporate citizen is just as active all over the world as it is in its native country? I don't know of one, seriously. I mean, not a corporation, maybe an Amnesty International cares about bad stuff everywhere. But, you know, good old-fashioned capitalism, where, show, me the, show me the corporation. Show me the person. It starts at home, man. And, and whether it's Tavares and Greenville, are, are, when was the last time you, you held a picket in South Dakota, Tavares? That's our country. Right? Why aren't you active out there? Well, because, DG, I'm from Greenville. I'm from North Carolina. I'm an American citizen. Maybe I chime in on federal laws because I'm an American. Statewide laws because I'm a North Carolinian. Local laws because I'm a Greenville person, right? Uh, South Dakota, yeah, I'm in their country, but, you know, I'm not carrying a picket out there. It's kind of complicated. Well, isn't that how it works for virtually every person and corporate citizen? Of course it does. And there's just some underlying angst where you want to call out somebody for not doing enough, while, man, there's an awful lot of ostrich heads in the sand about local sports organizations in America that don't do squat to fight racism or sexism or social injustice. So you're, you're, you're attacking Mother Teresa because she hasn't gotten to all of the countries yet, right? I mean, come on, man. That's an extreme exaggeration, I know. But as a starting point, anybody who doesn't see that dichotomy is really just drawing conclusions without using the full brain that was given to them. On the other side, Heather Dinich of ESPN, college football. The college football playoff writer is among her other titles. We'll talk about the weekend that was Ohio State and Florida with the biggest wins. Closer to home, Carolina, Pitt over Duke. Louisville gets its first ACC win in forever under Scott Satterfield. And Virginia Tech gets a nice victory at the expense of the Miami Hurricanes. More on those stories and more of your phone calls still to come on The David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. Is anything open, man? We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day (laughs) and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show.
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Nice ACC wins for Carolina at Georgia Tech, Pitt at Duke, Louisville. Hadn't won in forever at conference games. Scott Satterfield is the leader there now. The Cardinals beat Boston College. And Justin Fuente, under some pressure in Blacksburg, took the Hokies to South Florida and beat the Miami Hurricanes nationally. The biggest wins, I think, included number four, Ohio State, crushing Michigan State. Number 10, Florida, also now 6-0, took out number seven, Auburn, at the Swamp, the Gators. And the Buckeyes are two of a dozen-plus unbeaten teams as some of these squads have reached the halfway point of the 12-game regular season. Here to discuss all things college football near and afar, she is the college football and college football playoff writer for ESPN.com. Heather Dinich, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We're doing really well. It feels like the two leagues that kind of have set the pace with the best channel launches. You know, SEC and Big Ten Network are also setting the pace in college football. Is there anybody else worth discussing in terms of quality depth? Because, you know, ACC is described as Clemson and everybody else, but the SEC and the Big Ten seem to have at least more than one or two teams to still consider. They do, and that's what separates those two conferences from everybody else right now is the depth. But we're talking about right this very second because in a skinny minute they're all going to start playing each other and that's going to change, right? But when you look at them right now, each conference has four undefeated teams. And to go even further than that, they have more than one legitimate contender to finish in the top four. So while they are going to continue to play each other, nobody's saying that two teams from the SEC can't get in again, right? There's, you know, LSU, Alabama. In spite of how lousy Auburn looked against Florida, they're still in this thing. And then you go into the Big Ten. We have no idea what Penn State is going to do. We'll find out over the next three weeks. But you have Wisconsin, which has made some statements, and obviously there's the Buckeyes. So I think that that's the difference now in terms of depth. It's not just the unbeatens, but also the real chance that there's more than one team in there that can finish in the top four. I don't know if you are a golfer, but bad golfers like me enjoy the term mulligan. Mm -hmm. And some believe that college football is in this mulligan era where when we talk about the teams that you just mentioned, plus, I mean, you know the whole list, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, and then there are other undefeateds beyond them. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks will say, given that many of these teams could lose and still be in the conversation after a single loss, as long as they go in to win their conference championship, that, that really there's only, you know, seven to ten legitimate contenders for the college football playoff. Do you believe it's that simple in early October, or could somebody a little bit further down the line, you know, crack that final four in the end? I think it depends on how far you want to go. I'm not staring at the top 25, but a team like Oregon jumps out to me. I don't know where Texas is right this very second. But, you know, I I realize a lot of people just want to cut off the Pac-12 for some reason. But you can't do that because there are still one-loss teams in that conference. And any Power 5 conference champion that finishes with just one loss – I guarantee you, is going to be in the debate in that selection committee meeting room. And it also depends. People forget that there's going to be more than one one one-loss Power 5 champ. Notre Dame is also still in the mix. So until the Pac-12 is guaranteed to have a two-loss conference champion, 
I will continue to remind people that Oregon and Utah still have a pulse. Heather Denich is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Follow her on Twitter at CFB Heather, at CFB Heather, also her work at ESPN.com. That fine website projects, you know, who has this percentage chance of winning out, running the table. And among the undefeated teams, it's Clemson of the ACC at about 60% a chance to finish. I'm assuming that football power index, that would mean winning out in, the, in just the regular season, I'm assuming, a 12-0 and 0 regular mm-hmm. season. I know you covered the ACC closely as well as the rest of the country. Is it really the Tigers and everybody else, or do you see 5-0 and 0 Wake Forest or you know, even a one-loss Virginia team or anybody else as playing a caliber of football that would give them a chance to enter this biggest conversation? No, not not until proven otherwise. And they, well, with the exception of Virginia, you know, Wake Forest, another team in the Atlantic, yeah. beats beats that team, right? Um, you know, when you look at what Wake Forest has done to this point, their best win, I don't know, I guess you can, you can debate because BC was on the road, right? But North Carolina on, on Friday is certainly respectable with what Mac Brown is doing there. He's got those, those guys playing for him. Um, but when you look at Utah State and Rice and Elon, none of those teams are ranked. North Carolina and Boston College aren't either. You know, so they lack that one statement win in the five and zero to say, oh, maybe we should pay attention to Wake Forest. I think that's a, a little bit of, of why that has to do it. Kind of like I think it's Minnesota in the Big Ten is also undefeated, and nobody's rowing that boat quite yet. Two ACC coaches that have felt some pressure but also are coming off of recent wins are Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech and Willie Taggart at Florida State. When you look at those two coaches, Taggart in year two, Fuente's been at Virginia Tech longer, you know the deal. I mean, they're at football-first schools where they've either won the national title in the past or played for the national title in the past, and those fans are impatient and they're not used to, you know, scratching just to get into a bowl game or in FSU's case, missing a bowl game. What have you seen from the Hokies who just beat uh, Miami or the Seminoles who bounced back from a slow start and beat the Wolfpack, among others, is either capable of getting back to that nine or ten win level or are both in rebuilding mode for various reasons after Jimbo Fisher and Frank Beamer stepped away? I think it's a combination of both, right? I think you cert- I think they certainly can do it. And the one thing that impressed me, I mean, we watched that. We had a we have all the games on at ESPN. We watch them all. We had that Virginia Tech Miami game on. I kept looking up. It's still on. It was still on. Yeah. I couldn't believe what was going on in that game. Um, but to me, they didn't quit, right? And after that Duke game, I was like. Wow, because yes. I paid attention to that as well because Duke impacts Alabama's resume too, right? So I'm watching that game. I'm like, what is going on? You come out of there, and you're like, Fuente's in big trouble, right? But then when you see that happen and you turn around, you're like, it's, it's more like, hold on, backpedal a little bit, give the guy a chance because he hasn't lost the team. I think that's so important. And shockingly, if you really pay attention to Florida State – they have gotten better, too, you know? So I think that the, in the big picture, he had a lot more work to do than maybe people gave him credit for, Willie Taggart I'm talking about at, at Florida State. So, And the other thing, too, that people always forget, you have to ask, who else are you going to get? And if you can't answer that question with somebody who's going to contend for the division 
immediately, right? It's then it's hold on a minute, have some patience, and let these guys do their jobs a little bit more. It feels like a team like Florida, coming off of a great win, still has a bunch of huge tests ahead of it at six and zero. Ohio State six and zero as well crushed Michigan State. And I guess it'll reflect something like you said earlier, where the Spartans now are going to fall out of the top 25, so the Buckeyes may still be searching for their uh, signature victory, so to speak. But Sparty knows how to play defense, right? And, and out yeah. of all the games that you saw this weekend, was were the Buckeyes one of the biggest takeaways because Justin Fields, after a, flo- a slow start, found his game at quarterback, and certainly the Michigan State offense didn't have anything for that Ohio State defense. Yes, and I was waiting to see that before I put them in the top four instead of Auburn. And obviously those two things sorted themselves out really quickly this past weekend. But for Ohio State to figure that out and do what they did, I think that's going to continue to be considered a quality win by the selection committee because exactly what you said, well-coached defensive team. And I thought Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach afterwards, was very candid when he said, we got away with things in the first couple of games that we didn't get away with here. And for him to acknowledge that and to win and and improve upon it, I think it speaks volumes about what those guys are are going to be capable of down the stretch. But much like I'm kind of holding out on the Wake Forest of the world, I still haven't completely bought into – Wisconsin because I need to see what they look like against Ohio State and Columbus because that's a program and that's a game that has really kind of been an X factor in the college football playoff and and I think that those two teams are are very interesting but we'll learn a lot more about both of them when they play each other. Glancing ahead as we come out of the weekend where Ohio State over Michigan State and then Florida over Auburn were probably the two biggest head-to-head matchups. I want your thoughts on the biggest matchups including Oklahoma, Texas, uh, it's it's a funny weekend around here because, Heather, as you know, it's like App State in our backyard visiting Louisiana on Wednesday night football. Then it's Syracuse right here at NC State on Thursday night football on ESPN. Then it's an ACC game, UVA at Miami on Friday night football. But I know the bigger match, bigger national matchups are on the weekend. Which ones are you circling and, and what's going to help us kind of separate the wheat from the chaff? There's a lot. You know, I think you mentioned the two biggest ones, which are going to be LSU, Florida, and then Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, And that's really big because the Texas-Oklahoma one, right now, I think, did Oklahoma State fall out of the top 25? I haven't seen it, but probably, yeah. (laughs) They should if they didn't, right? But assuming that they did, that's going to be each other are going to be their only ranked opponent, quite possibly, until the Big 12 championship game. So, that's very important, whoever the winner is, to get that win. But if you remember, Oklahoma lost it last year and then avenged themselves in the Big 12 championship, and that was a big deal for them. So that one is certainly one to watch in terms of playoff implications. And let's see if Florida's defense can do the same thing against an LSU offense that has just been light out lately. I mean, Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, true freshman, to me really finally looked like a true freshman and, and had trouble really getting the ball down the field. But I think Joe Burrow, you know, he's in my top five in the Heisman watch right now, and I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup. But also Alabama at Texas A&M, I don't think A&M um, – is that great? I thought that uh, Auburn made them look pretty slow. Actually, I was at that game, so I expect Alabama to win. But again, another road SEC test for Alabama, and they're certainly not flawless. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. 
Heather Dinich on Twitter at CFB. Heather online, ESPN and ESPN.com. Thanks, as always, for the visit. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. You got it. And for those who don't know the bigger picture glancing forward, these games are on ESPN properties. App State at Louisiana, two of the best teams in the Sun Belt. The Mountaineers are still undefeated, remember, and they visit a Louisiana team that's 4-1. and one. That's on ESPN2 Wednesday night. So as we head to Charlotte for tomorrow's ACC Basketball Media Day, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, Tony Bennett, uh, Kevin Keats, Danny Manning, and, and all those uh, star players that the various teams are bringing as well. We have the SAS Championship in Cary to look forward to with the legends of golf descending upon Prestonwood Country Club, Fred Couples, Bernhard Longer, Colin Montgomery, Davis Love. We have TV tidbits involving teams in our backyard. App State, Louisiana, National Spotlight, Wednesday night, ESPN2. Syracuse at NC State, Thursday night, ESPN proper. Virginia at 4-1 visits an even angrier Miami team now that the Canes lost to Virginia Tech and fell to 2-3 and three and had a quarterback's change. That's Friday night on ESPN proper. And then into the weekend, Oklahoma-Texas doesn't happen to be an ESPN game. That one's a Fox offering, but... The SEC is ramping up these head-to-head matchups. A lower level will be Nick Saban in Alabama against his old buddy Jimbo Fisher, now at Texas A&M. They both are ranked in the top 25, so that's one of the rare top 25 versus top 25 matchups that we have awaiting us in SEC country on the TV side. And she mentioned uh, LSU Florida. I mean, that's must-see TV the Gators haven't lost. The Tigers haven't lost. They're either 6-0 and or 5-0 and and two really good football teams. I do think LSU is the better team and playing better and is there at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge where they don't lose very often. Uh, but worthy of discussion that college football weekend will have a lot of spotlights on teams that we follow across North Carolina and around the ACC and the SEC, not just on the weekend, but Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? How does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I I hope it's not awkward. (laughs) Um, You know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to Caroline Can, sideline reporter for the Panthers, Heather Dinich from ESPN.com for dropping by. TV picks led by the baseball quadruple header, playoff style. Browns 49ers on ESPN at 8. Enjoy the games. We'll see you from Charlotte tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.